Happy Sunday morning. I hope you're safe and ready to experience an encounter with the loving God who created all of us. We are His children, or as the Bible says, the sheep of His pasture. The sheep of His pasture? What an expression! What does it mean? Why does the Bible call us sheep anyway? Is it possible we could be like the docile herd animals we know as sheep? Is that even a compliment? Well, today, let's ponder that a bit more and see what the Bible means. Maybe it is another way for us to discover the beauty of God's grace for our lives. This is nothing but grace. May you feel the arms of God wrapped around you this moment. Welcome to Nothing But Grace. My name is Chuck McGathy, and I am the pastor of a loving, grace-affirming, and welcoming group of people located in Madison, North Carolina. Together we are followers of Jesus, a person we believe taught us how to live, and himself conquered death. For us, he is real and alive. We lean on Him. He is our teacher and model. We have so much to learn about being His followers. Together, we welcome you to come along with us and learn about Him with us, and then let Him change your despair into hope. Everyone is welcome as family. We are all brothers and sisters on this journey to follow our Lord. The church where I am pastor is the First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. Our history and tradition speak of the love God has for all people and the respect and dignity we possess as His children. I speak for the congregation when I tell you we consider you our brothers and sisters, and when you're with us, you are home. You can learn more about our church and gain access to some helps for your spiritual life and even donate to support the positive, life-changing message we present weekly. You can do all or any of that through our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. That's all spelled out, firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. I call this hour Nothing But Grace. This is a time for worship and Bible study that will inspire your hearts and give you good news. We are all fellow travelers on life's highway. Today I will be sharing with you my sermon, Go Sheep, 
You will also be hearing Bible study led by the Reverend Jan Walsh. Jan is, in addition to being an ordained Baptist minister, also a professional teacher. So stay tuned. I believe God has a wonderful message for you today. I'd like to start our worship time this morning with a lively tune sung by our choir entitled The Spirit Sings, arranged by Mark Hayes. This is the First Baptist Choir. you choir and that choir is led by mrs jane scruggs and accompanied by mrs sylvia perkins on piano 
Folks, this pandemic we are experiencing has changed many things about our lives. That is why it has been so important to me and many others that Major League Baseball found a way to have a season this unusual year. Though few fans were in the stands, creative minds got busy. They provided life-size cutouts to help the players and the fans watching at home imagine the people represented by the team. And I am happy to say that when it was all said and done, we did have an exciting playoff and World Series to watch this year. I am either even further happy to say that my team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, prevailed, winning their first World Series since 1988. Of course, I celebrated. Someone who noticed my exuberance wondered how it was the team came to be known as the Dodgers. I was happy to explain. You see, the team started out in Brooklyn, New York. In order to enter the stadium, fans had to cross busy streetcar tracks. It was actually rather dangerous. People going to the game darted in between moving cars in order to enjoy America's pastime. The scene of the pedestrians dodging in between moving streetcars earned them the name Dodgers. And there you have it. A sports legend was born. Have you ever considered the various names that are chosen to differentiate athletic teams? The mascot selected by a school or city communicates something of local flavor or perhaps the spirited aggressiveness the team hopes to display on the gridiron or on the court. There are lots of teams named Tigers, and to the best of my knowledge, none named Kittens. Like it or not, names mean something. A self-awareness, an identity is communicated not only to those on the outside, but also to those on the inside. This is why the banana slugs of the University of California, Santa Cruz, will never win a championship in anything. Now that, by the way, actually is their school's mascot. I'm not making that up. They are the UC Santa Cruz banana slugs. Though their name may be creative and environmentally sensitive, it also communicates we're not terribly interested in winning any kind of competition. And that, by the way, is just my uninformed opinion. So with that in mind, perhaps we ought to ponder just a moment how we, the people of God, are most often depicted symbolically in Scripture. What is the faith family team mascot? It isn't tigers or lions or bears, and fortunately, banana slugs aren't found in the Holy Land, but guess what? Sheep are. Of all the monikers our team of faith might be recognized by, the fighting lions, screaming eagles, or stinging scorpions, we get to be known as the wandering sheep. Again and again in Scripture, the people of God are referred to as a flock of sheep who tend to get lost and prone to get into trouble and get killed by vicious predators. It might do us good for a moment to pause and Ask why that particular mascot is so often applied to God's team. Let's begin by looking at our scripture today. It is found in Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, verses 1 through 6. 
You leaders of my people are like shepherds that kill and scatter the sheep. You were supposed to take care of my people, but instead you chased them away. So now I'll really take care of you, and believe me, you will pay for your crimes. I will bring the rest of my people home from the lands where I have scattered them, and they will grow into a mighty nation. I promise to choose leaders who will care for them like real shepherds. All of my people will be there, and they will never again be frightened. Someday, I will appoint an honest king from the family of David, a king who will be wise and rule with justice. As long as he is king, Israel will have peace, and Judah will be safe. The name of this king will be the Lord Gives Justice. The focal point of this passage actually isn't upon sheep but upon the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. If you want to understand why so often the biblical writers called God's children sheep, you must understand the way the sheep relates to the shepherd. Of all the professions, of all the things one could do with one's life, of all the things that promise romance, adventure, or riches, sheep herding is near the bottom of the list. You can't major in shepherding at any university. There are no tech schools devoted to the challenging and rewarding field of sheep leadership. Chances are that if you end up watching a herd of sheep these days, something has gone terribly wrong in your life. Those who tend sheep did not pick their occupation. It just sort of finds them a job of last resorts. Now, that's our understanding of shepherding today, but what about then, back there in the Bible days? Well, the answer is just about the same. Being in charge of a bunch of sheep has always been a lowly job. It was so much more interesting being a warrior, or a merchant, or even a fisherman. Now, there isn't anything wrong with being a shepherd, but don't expect glamour or high rolling to be any part of your experience. Instead, you should expect that you will need to listen to the bleating of a lot of animals. Expect that there will always be a few sheep wandering away from the rest. Expect that the sheep might get hurt or stuck on a steep ledge or eat poisonous plants unaware of the danger. Expect that the sheep will be vulnerable to predators. Expect that being a shepherd is going to be a full-time job. So we ought to certainly admit that since the people of God are continually compared to sheep, that maybe, just maybe, God is trying to send us a message through this comparison. It is important to realize that the message is not, you're just a bunch of sheep, but that the relationship God has with us is somehow like the relationship a shepherd has with his sheep. The best description of a good shepherd is that he loves his sheep. In this passage from Jeremiah, God laments how shepherds who cared little for their flock did great harm. Instead, God's children are to look for one to come, the great shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep, With that in mind, how does a good shepherd care for his flock? The good shepherd has an affinity for the sheep. 
He doesn't see himself as too good to be with them. A good shepherd isn't griping and growling over his miserable lot in life, but actually identifies with the sheep he's leading. We are immediately mindful of the way the 23rd Psalm reads, The Lord is my shepherd. David was identifying himself as a sheep, even though his observations were from the perspective of a shepherd. A shepherd does several things to identify with the sheep of his flock. Often the shepherd is there at the moment of birth, sometimes even helping a pregnant ewe in distress to successfully deliver. Of course, the shepherd became the constant presence in the life of the sheep. He was there with them in the cold and quiet of the night. In the morning, he led them to good forage. When the day got hot, he guided the sheep to shade and good water. The sheep considered the shepherd as one of them. They would even distinguish one human being from another by the sound of the shepherd's voice. If the sheep fell from a perilous cliff, it was the shepherd who, heedless of his own safety, reached out with the crook of his staff to pull the animal to safety. Even today, we hear echoes of the human longing for spiritual leaders. We desperately want leaders who are more than smart. We want leaders who can inspire through their character. Musician Bruce Springsteen described such a leader when he sang his song, Into the Fire. The theme continually repeated throughout the song goes, May your strength give us strength. May your faith give us faith. May your hope give us hope. May your love give us love. Through that poetic phrasing, we feel the desire to have a good leader who inspires us to be better than we are. We know instinctively that we need more than intelligence. We need good leaders, strong in spirit, full of faith in God's provision. We must have leaders who exude hope. And most of all, we need leaders who truly love those they serve. Spiritual leaders have long been compared to shepherds. There is no way that one who finds himself or herself in that position can take their responsibility lightly. Even so, human beings are human beings. They are fallible. They get tired. They forget. They may even have areas of blindness and self-centeredness. Nevertheless, they are capable of performing routinely as positive models and effective leaders of God's people. They are not the good shepherd, but their shepherding is good and reflects the one who is the shepherd of us all. Today's scripture passage begins by referring to evil shepherds. Jeremiah is not describing the shepherds who love their flocks but occasionally slip up. He is referring to leaders who didn't value their people at all. They not only didn't care for those they led, they didn't even care what God thought. They led God's people away from him. The result of their bad leadership was that a great evil befell the people of God. The ultimate fate of false shepherds will not be good. We are assured they will pay for what they have done. But God never stops at punishment. There is also a promise. To his people, he promises deliverance and that he will select for them a good leader, a good shepherd who will care for them with love. They will never again need to be frightened. Not only will this leader be a shepherd, he will be a king. 
what appears to be at the opposite ends of the job possibilities available in the Jewish kingdom, God joined together. The shepherd king is the promised one, the one chosen, the Messiah. He will be from the line of David, who was himself a shepherd and a king. But unlike David, he will be a king and a shepherd at the same time. He will establish a new covenant, a relationship with his people. And it will not just be for the people of Israel alone, but for all who hear and respond to his voice. He calls his sheep by name. He will use names to describe us that no one has used before. We may even be surprised by what he tells us about us. Anna was a little girl who Mrs. Taylor met through a program called Kids Hope. Mrs. Taylor had volunteered some of her busy schedule to spend one hour a week in the local elementary school with one child. Anna was her child. Mrs. Taylor wasn't quite sure what mentoring was all about. She wasn't sure that she had very much to offer a child. But she took a step of faith, nevertheless, and volunteered to try. What harm could it do? If she didn't like it, she could exit the program gracefully in a few months anyway. The day Mrs. Taylor met Anna was unremarkable. Anna seemed like the rest of the children, a bit more shy perhaps, but she certainly did not stand out in any unusual way. Mrs. Taylor bent down to look Anna in the eyes. Then she noticed that this little one quickly averted her eyes. Anna was hurting. There was pain inside this child. Introductions were in order. Mrs. Taylor started off. Hi, I'm Mrs. Taylor. What will I call you? Anna whispered. You could call me what the kids call me. Okay, said Mrs. Taylor. What do they call you? They call me Idiot. That's my name. Mrs. Taylor wouldn't ever refer to Anna as Idiot. Instead, she called Anna, Anna. But Mrs. Taylor did something else. She added some new names Anna had never heard before. Names like Awesome, Wonderful, and Fantastic. Don't you know Anna's life was changed? And Mrs. Taylor's life? Hers was changed too. Where does the gospel dance? Is it in our pews? Is it at our homes with our private times of prayer? Is it when we join in the songs of the church? Is it when we pause long enough to study the words of Scripture? Is it when we touch the heart of a child with a healing word? Of course, the answer is all of these. It must be all of these. It must be all of these and more. The gospel is received from the good shepherd and the gospel flows through us as we shepherd others. We are proud to be Christ's little lambs. Go, sheep! God loves you and his love calls us to love others. Like Peter, we are asked to respond. He asks each one of us, do you love me? And if we answer yes, then his command is unequivocal. Feed my sheep. 
feed my lambs. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We are the sheep of your pasture. We know of your love and protection. We know that you will provide for us and lead us in righteous paths. You call us by a new name and we are saved by your kindness. May your grace fill us and flow through us and to others. Then we also will be agents of the gospel in this world that so desperately needs your grace. Amen. We have much to pray about today. We thank God for good news from medical reports, the birth of a new granddaughter to Dusty and Sharon Wood, and Sam Brinson's well-deserved promotion to lieutenant commander. There is also the sad news of the passing of Jane's husband, Wayne. Our heart and sincere prayers go out to Sybil and her entire family in this loss. Let us be ever so fervent in our prayers for one another in this difficult time when we must observe distancing and the wearing of masks to overcome an invisible but very real enemy. I hope that this week in our time of prayer we might focus on those who are on the front lines fighting the deadly coronavirus. Many of us have had a personal experience with someone who has contracted or even died of COVID-19. But the experience of our health care workers has been something else. They need our prayers and praise for their devotion to all God's suffering children. In their example, we can all see a picture of the God who came after us to save us from our disease of sin. All of the words I might use do little justice to the price our doctors, nurses, and others engaged in caring for the sick are paying. So let's hear a testimony of one nurse. This is Joey Trawick of Billings, Montana. It is hard to listen to, but it is important that we do so, so that we will support our brothers and sisters better in our prayers. Here is ICU nurse Joey Trawick. You know, um... At first, I, I hesitate to tell you this, but I, I was the nurse for, uh, <clears throat> man, sorry, I was the nurse for the very first patient that passed from COVID in our hospital. And I thought, I've, I've seen this before. I'm a nurse. I've been doing this a long time. I know how much time I have. I can tell by looking at her how acute this is. And... I'll come back and check on her regularly. At that point, she was moderately lucid. And I came back to the room at one point, and she had passed by herself. And I thought, I'm never going to let that happen again. I am never going to let that happen again. It snuck up on me and it surprised me because it's so relentless. And so 23 patients later, um, I don't miss it. If I have to stay late after work, if it means coming in on my day off, they're not going to pass alone on my unit. Again, None of them. I don't enjoy crying. 
I like to goofball and be funny, right? So I write smile on my mask so that people know I'm smiling under here. But it reminds me of the Charlie Chaplin song, right? Smile when your heart is breaking, you know, even though it's aching, you know, that thing where you think, for you, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to call your family and I'm going to tell them you're going to be fine because that's all I have for you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a good nurse. And the nurses that I work with are good nurses, but we are broken because we feel like we can't comfort those patients. And I think um, there's nowhere else on the planet I would rather be. I don't want to be anywhere else. It's killing me inside. I'm kind of, I'm broken. <laughs> I'm broken. And my colleagues are broken. And people say, it's not that big a deal. And I want to take them by the collar and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Come see my world for a week. The family members that are broken and the staff members that are broken. Let us pray. Lord, we lift up before your throne of grace all those who are called upon to use their training, skills, and loving hearts to help all of us get through this dark hour. We ask that you encourage them and give them the strength they need to care for the sick and the dying among us. Protect them from harm. Watch over their families who miss their presence. Shield them from the critical and ignorant voices who would diminish their service and even impugn their motives. Bless them and keep them strong. They reflect your love and serve to inspire all of us to better serve one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our time of Bible study today will be led by Reverend Jan Walsh. Today's passage is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. If you have a copy of the free Nurturing Faith journal we offer, turn to page 24. If you do not have this excellent Bible study guide, drop by the church or drop me a line and get your free copy. Now let's listen as Jan leads us in our time of study. Our scripture for today's lesson is Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. 
Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Do you like waiting? Whether it's sitting in a doctor's office or standing behind a grocery cart at the only open checkout lane, we generally have no patience for waiting. We want fast food and instant connection to the internet. We want that light to turn green now. We don't want to wait for anything. The current pandemic has brought new meaning to waiting. How long before we can eat out without fear, socialize with our friends, sing in a choir, or go to a normal vacation? When can we get back to the office and the kids go back to school? When can we safely go back to church? While medical experts counsel patients despite the difficulties and inconvenience, reopen advocates press for an end to restrictions. Political leaders and ordinary citizens were divided as tensions mounted and we wondered and we still wonder if the former state of normalcy will ever return. Waiting is hard, but sometimes we have no other option. While waiting, however, we have choices about what we will do and how, will we, how we will act. We can make the most of the time in creative ways or we can devolve into self-pity. The church people addressed in the Gospel of Matthew were also waiting and increasingly frustrated. Teachings of Jesus, such as those in Matthew 24, gave the distinct impression that Jesus would not only return, but would return soon. Many expected Jesus to return in their lifetimes, and they were disappointed when decades passed with no sign and no evidence of Jesus arriving with the angels to redeem the righteous and judge the world. Some may have lost faith and turned away because of the delay. At least 40 years had passed before the Gospel of Matthew was written, and they were still waiting. The Apostle Paul had blazed missionary trails and expected Christ's return and passed from the scene, but they were still waiting. Roman armies had sacked and burned the temple in Jerusalem, bringing to mind the apocalyptic predictions of Matthew 24. But there was no angel band heralding the return of Christ. They were still waiting. To encourage his readers, the author of Matthew followed his account of Jesus' apocalyptic prediction by putting together several parables designed to counsel both patience and continued faithfulness. The second parable is unique to Matthew. It offers an image of the kingdom of heaven from the standpoint of those who can expect to enter fully at Christ's return. The story begins with ten bridesmaids. The Greek word literally means virgins, though other word meaning could be young women. Virgins is probably the intended meaning, indicating the ideal that those who know divine forgiveness would remain chaste in their commitment to Christ. The maidens were likely young women associated with the bridegroom's family. They were awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom on the evening of his wedding, 
which would culminate in a party that would last for days. Where they were waiting is unclear, but their obvious intention was to escort the bridegroom to the site of the wedding. Because it was late, the women carried lamps that may have been attached to poles, and they may have been used like torches so that they could leave the wedding procession. Five of the maidens were wise, far-sighted enough to bring extra oil in case the bridegroom should run late. The other five were foolish in that they did not consider the possibility of delay and brought no extra oil with them. The bridegroom was, in fact, late in arriving. The delay was so long that all of the virgins fell asleep, presumably with their lamps still burning. Finally, the bridegroom arrived in the middle of the night. All of them trimmed the wicks of their dimming flames, and five were able to replenish their supply of oil and make their lamps shine brighter. The other five watched sadly as their lamps flickered dimly on the verge of going out. The foolish, foolish versions act asked the others to share, but were told there wasn't enough to go around, leaving them with the task of finding a midnight merchant who sold olive oil. While searching for oil, the girls who were unprepared missed the parade as the wise maidens joined the procession in the wedding venue where the door was closed behind them. We may wonder about the ethics of those who refuse to share their oil or ask why the five foolish virgins could not have joined the procession even if their lamps had been out. However, the story is about the importance of being prepared. The foolish maidens succeeded in buying more oil, but it was too late. They must have been able to hear the music and the festivities going on. They knocked at the door saying, open to us, but heard only what must have seemed very callous. Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. The bridegroom's rejection may strike us as unrealistic and harsh, but again, that's not the point of the parable. Because the women were unprepared, they missed their chance. Keep awake, therefore, Jesus said, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Keeping awake is to be understood in the sense of being aware and prepared. Even the wise virgins could fall asleep, knowing that they would be ready when the bridegroom arrived. So how do we interpret this parable? It is obvious that certain elements are allegorical. The trick is determining how far the allegory goes. Tony Cartledge, our writer, says, it is clear that the bridegroom is Jesus and that his unexpected tardiness represents the, day of the delay of his second coming. The maidens are members of the church. The bridegroom's arrival signals the return of Christ. The closed door marks the judgment and the wedding banquet represents life in the new age. Cartledge continues, should we extend the allegory farther? Do the maidens' lamps and their provision of oil also have allegorical significance? Some think the oil lamps represent the good deeds, recalling Jesus' instructions to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Others imagine that the extra oil represents faith that endures or love of Christ that lasts and does not grow old. 
Some interpretations are likely to be overreaching. We do not earn our way into heaven by works, and good deeds cannot be purchased like oil from a merchant. The point is that the women were not ready for the bridegroom's arrival. Church members who are wise should take note and live faithfully, ready to meet Christ, whether at the second coming or at their own death. For some theologians, eschatology is all about the future, looking to a day when Christ literally returns to earth, judges sinners and saints, and inaugurates the new age. Believers would certainly want to be ready for that. Looking at the story from this position, some see the wise and foolish as true believers who are spiritually prepared, as opposed to pseudo-Christians who may go through the motions or adopt church culture, but still live for themselves rather than Christ. Others might see it as a warning to hold tightly to one's faith rather than giving up and falling away. To keep one's spiritual oil replenished and ready to meet Jesus. Others prefer to think of eschatology more in the present than in the future. A school of thought known as realized eschatology holds that Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God while on earth and that New Testament references to Jesus' coming can be understood in terms of what he has already done. In this view, Christians are not so much challenged to wait patiently and faithfully for Christ's return, but to live into the reality of a kingdom that is always coming and breaking into our world. We are called to live in such a way that the presence of Christ is realized in the way we live and love and show grace to others, representing Christ in the world. Either view calls for readiness. Christ's love is present when we persevere in hope and do the work. Jesus comes when we work for justice to overcome systemic evils. The kingdom breaks in when we show compassion to those who need it most. Whatever our eschatological bent, the message of the parable is clear. We are called to live with expectant hope. As we see the world through Jesus' eyes, we can believe that God is still at work in our world, coming into it in ways that bring redemption, grace, and the promise of completion. Since God is still at work in the world, shouldn't we be too? And if we are to live into the reality of a kingdom that is always coming and breaking into our world, then the waiting for the kingdom is over, and we have already begun to live it. And if we are called to live in such a way that the presence of Christ is realized in the way we live and love and show grace to others, representing Christ in the world, could it be that you and I are the kingdom of God on earth? We are to bring others. We are to share God's love, not judgment, with the world. While we are waiting for Christ's return, we aren't to just sit around longing for the future. We should be doing his work and helping to make the kingdom more visible in the world. And how do we do that? Not with parades and loud clanging noises and fighting for our rights not for looking down on others or casting judgment on everyone who isn't like us or believes differently. God didn't send Jesus to bring bad news. God sent Jesus to bring good news. That is our job too. We make the kingdom of God more visible 
by spreading the good news about God's love and grace to all. What will you do this week to make God's kingdom more visible? Let us pray. Loving, gracious God, forgive us when we are not prepared. Help us to always be ready, not just for your return, but prepared to share your love and your goodness with all we meet. We pray for your kingdom to come, and we pray that we invite others into the kingdom by our loving and gracious interactions with them. Thank you for your grace and patience with us. May we be more like you. Amen. Amen, and thank you, Jan. I hope to have a church newsletter out soon. If you do not get a copy and would like to receive the Nothing But Grace newsletter, please let us know your name and address, and we'll be honored to add you to our mailing list. One announcement I would like to make over the air this Sunday is to ask your help and support of the homeless in our community. We could use donations and volunteer effort, especially at this time of year when the need grows so dire. We work closely with Melissa Galloway at Home of Refuge Outreach. You can find out more about Home of Refuge by going to their website at www.homeofrefugeoutreach.org. And if anyone is interested in providing a meal, breakfast, or dinner, they have several dates available for December. You can coordinate directly with Melissa, and she will give you an estimation of the number of friends in need for that day. You may also want to drop off supplies at the church. Please place them outside our office door that is located just across the street from the Dollar General store in Madison. The essential supplies needed are laundry detergent and softener, washcloths and towels, toiletries, cleaning supplies, paper plates, cups, towels, and plastic utensils, also garbage bags, and even pillows would be of great help. Look for the bin marked House of Refuge located near our bin for Hands of God, which also needs donations this time of year. And thanks in advance for your support for all God's children. This has been a rather dramatic week in the life of our nation. One thing we can be sure of is we do not all see things the same way or think alike. And knowing that we can choose polarization and hatred, or we can try and find a better way, a way of grace. This really is not a choice for the followers of Jesus. If we are to follow the Master, then ours must be a way of grace and reconciliation. When we get things our way, and especially when we do not, we must ask that God's grace be shed on all of us. Only through His divine love and grace will the Christian people in America as a nation survive. I found this version of the song, America the Beautiful, in my library. I think it might be a good thing if we listen to it together and commit our hearts to the promise this song embodies. Hear now the original drifters as they sing for us America the Beautiful. Let's pray that God's grace may so fill our lives that we will help our nation to find the love and unity we need right now.
To all my fellow Americans, my fellow Christ followers, my fellow sheep, we have had a good and meaningful time this morning. Our hope is built on the Lord that loves us. In Him we will find the peace and guidance we need for this day and every day. 
Thank you for tuning into this worship and study time each Sunday. I would also like to thank all of you who have been so generous in your financial support in this difficult and challenging time we're passing through right now. I hope that this time of worship and Bible study inspires you each week. It is my sincere hope that through this weekly broadcast, you will find renewal in a stronger relationship with the God that loves you. Sometimes I know people who are listening would like to demonstrate in some tangible way their support. I thank you for that. We love hearing from you and knowing of your prayers. Another way you can affirm this ministry is through a financial contribution. Now, through the advancements of technology, that's easy. Of course, you can use traditional mail to send a donation in. I'll give the address in just a moment. But now you can donate safely through our online website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Please pray for us, and if God so directs you, give to help this broadcast continue. I also want everyone to know you may listen anytime to this broadcast or recommend it to a friend by going to our website. Again, that is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Now, to write to us, please address your correspondence to First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 209, Madison, North Carolina, 27025. Write to me and let me know your prayer request. Send an email to cpmcgathy, that's cpmcgathy, at yahoo.com. And please note in the subject line that you are a radio listener Or call if you like and leave a message at 336-548-6112. May God bring you comfort and love and mercy. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy and I mean it when I remind each week, in the end, no matter what comes your way, there's nothing but grace. We will conclude our broadcast today with Jamie Slocum singing God's Grace Changes Everything.